Hey guys, welcome back to the Teen Life Podcast, where we equip, encourage, and empower the helpers of students. Hey guys, my name is Chris Roby, and I'm your host today to talk through the last episode of our 13 Reasons Why Season 2 series. That was a mouthful. That was. I'm very <laughs> impressed with myself with that. Uh, I didn't even write that down. That was pretty impressive. So I'm here alongside Carly Duke, who you just heard from. Hi, Carly. Hey. And then I got uh, Beth Nichols, who's here with us as well. Hello. Yeah, she's our, our five-time guest. Five-time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm almost a regular now. Yeah, almost a regular <laughs> on, almost on the a podcast. Regular. So uh, if you've not joined us in the last uh, few episodes, we have been talking through season two. And uh, not necessarily episode by episode, but really more the, the big themes that we find in uh, season two of 13 Reasons Why. And as a quick reminder, uh, me, Chris Roby, has not watched the series, not because I'm protesting or anything like that. It was just going to be a quick catch-up, and we thought... How great would it be for someone just to interview someone who had actually watched the show as someone who is interested in the content? So that's kind of the role that I'm playing here is interviewing Carly and Beth. So uh, I'll be asking some questions based upon this uh, topic of the role of adults. We're really excited to talk about this because you guys are our main audience for, for our podcast is the adults who are in the teen- in teenagers' lives. So Carly, if you kick us off uh, with our little spoiler alert and content alert. Sure. So if you haven't watched 13 Reasons Why, like Chris said, you're in good company. Um, he also hasn't. And so you, this that's not a requirement for this. But if you're wanting to watch it, we are probably going to give away spoilers. So you might want to go watch it first and then come back. Or if you don't care about spoilers, listen on. And this podcast is for you. Um, we also want to give a content alert. This one is not as heavy content, especially um, as some of the other ones. However, 13 Reasons Why um, is a show that has some pretty heavy content um, and has some very realistic sometimes and sometimes exaggerated things that happen in teenagers' lives. So we did want to give that warning that if you have little ears um, listening, this might not be the best teen life podcast for them. Um, but this is the last one that will have a content editor hopefully for a while. Yeah. Who knows when I start doing this more, I have the, this be a little edgy and have the content. <laughs> you know how Chris <laughs> is. Yeah, that's right. Living on the edge. That's right. So, uh, I'm excited about this because we're talking about the role of adults in the lives of a teenager and we, you know, thematically our podcast covers these things quite a bit and different angles of, you know, as the helpers of a student, how can we do better in all these different areas? And, um, just to contrast the two seasons, just to help help out the listener, you know, I feel like the role of adults in season one is a little bit different than the role of adults in season two. Kind of how they how they're portrayed, how helpful they are, um, how present they are. Yeah, I think for sure in season one, the role of adults is one of our actual real criticisms of the first season. Mm-hmm. Um, when we did our blogs and talked about it in the office, we talked a lot about about it doesn't present any adult perspective. Like you don't see any of the adults really speaking and talking. And I think that was a really shifted and, or that really shifted, I guess in season two. And you get to see a lot of perspective from the adults and you get to see a lot more parental involvement and people being more purposeful in their involvement. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was a huge change between the two seasons. Right. And we talked about um, a few adult relationships as we've done the series, but we're going to focus on just a few today, but I definitely agree of, you saw either no adult involvement or very poor adult involvement where they were not doing a good job in season one. And you could tell that they tried to make a shift. Now there is still 
some adults who do better than others. Yes. There are still some mistakes that happen, but I also think that's realistic of not every parent, not every counselor, not every coach is going to get it right every single time. But you could tell this season they tried to show um, actual adult involvement and that students or teenagers could trust adults. I feel, I feel like historically TV has not gotten that done that very well is the you know if it's a teenage drama or teenage you know any kind of scripted show that adults tend to kind of be the buffoons and the whole thing oh totally yes. yeah and so the season one was definitely uh but that that was also quite damaging too um because we know in real life um there are adults who care adults mm-hmm. who want to help and so we need to use this as a, a way for us to kind of measure at least evaluate, you know, is how I'm doing this helpful. And we'll talk about that through some of these. So we're going to kind of break it down into two different groups here is um, as parents of teenagers, you know, the roles that they play in, or parents of these characters more specifically, and then also the school officials in, in the show. So let's start with uh, a couple sets of the parents of the main characters, Hannah's parents, and uh, just to remind the listener, Hannah was the main subject of season one with the, th- with the 13 uh, tapes. And um, her parents um, are grieving the loss of their child who right. died by suicide in the previous season. So talk a little bit about Hannah's parents, uh, Olivia and Andy, and kind of how they're portrayed this season. Right, so you start the season... Um, there's been a jump in time, and so you're trying to kind of play catch up at the beginning, but you can tell pretty quickly that things are different. <laughs> things are different. Her parents are not together where they were super happy and together and um, seem to have their relationship together in season one. You can tell that this tragedy has completely torn them apart, and so they are no longer together. They um, aren't really on speaking terms. They interact a few times, but you can just tell that they handled their grief very differently, and mm-hmm. that caused them to kind of move apart would be, was my assumption at least. I don't know if you agree, Beth. Yeah, I agree. I think that it throughout season two, there's even a shift in their relationship when the season starts, they're very much apart and you realize right away, like this is maybe six months later and they're in very different places. And at one point he comes and wants to be a part of the trial. And then he basically backs up and they kind of go back their separate ways. And so I think just watching them grieve and how he handled things and how she handled things definitely put strain on there. Well, if I remember right, he he was with another woman already. Yeah, he was with another woman. And she really was spending a lot of time pouring actually into the lives of the students that were on the tapes. Hmm. Is how she was kind of processing her grief. And so they show throughout the season um, that Hannah's mom, her name is Olivia, becomes a person that several of the students can go and talk to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They come into the pharmacy where she works just to say hi and to get, you know, things they don't really have to get at the pharmacy. Um, She has a really good relationship with Clay, and she has a good relationship with Tony and several of the main characters, as they see walking through the process of the trial, Mm -hmm. really feel like she's a safe place to go and have a conversation because she understands and is open to those conversations right and so where she poured herself into the trial and to the students to get closer to hannah i feel like andy the dad pulled himself away like he wanted nothing to do with the pharmacy with the home anything that reminded him of hannah he was done with and what's interesting is and beyond the reasons um they actually talk about that men typically are ready to move on in these situations before women are Mm -hmm. and so that is something that they did on purpose that they showed his character moving on quicker than Olivia and the mom. Um, and so I do appreciate that 
at least in this setting, they did some research. And I know also the actress, Kate Walsh, who plays Olivia, talked to a mom who had lost, I believe, her son Mm -hmm. and actually talked to her and was like, what was that like? Like she wanted to do the research in the background on what did that grief process look like? um, How did you feel? And everything like that. Mm -hmm. And so I totally think that's... And I will say, along the lines with the research, the research does back up that parents who have lost a child, whether it's by suicide or any other cause of death, are more likely the odds of them being divorced are much higher. I'd also like to throw in there as the the guy in the room that uh, I identify with uh, Andy, uh, Hannah's dad, that, you know, wanted to kind of move on a little quicker than you should. I'm not, I'm not trying to lump all guys in there, but just from talking to other guys that I know that tends to be, uh, you know, our default because, you know, feeling like you have to be the protector and being the provider, those kinds of things. You feel like you're not going to get on and move on and be strong and all that kind of stuff. When oftentimes that doesn't send the message that you're intending to send that, you know, the grief is still very real, very much happening. And, um, so, I think that is accurate, um, just anecdotally at least, for sure. So let's move on to Clay's parents, uh, Matt and Lainey. Um, you know, Clay went through a whole lot in season one, obviously, some of his own doing and some that was done to him and involved with a lot of this. Talk to, talk to us a little bit about uh, Clay's parents and what we see maybe season one versus season two. I would say season one – Clay's parents seemed just at a loss. There were some big things going on with Clay and they could tell, but they just didn't really know what to do. And so they did nothing. And you see a shift this season where you can tell they're trying to come to him and ask questions and get feedback and um, be present and want to know what's going on. They're saying like, Hey, I'm noticing this. And what about this? And what about this person? And they're really trying to make, Um, an impact in his life. At one point, his dad actually says, um, is quoted saying, why is it that kids don't tell their parents anything ever? Is it shame or fear? Are you afraid we'll understand? And so his dad was even trying to get to the point of, I'm someone you can trust. Help me understand why do you feel like you can't trust me? Mm -hmm. And I think there's a shift. Uh, Clay's mom, Lainey, in season one, worked for the school district and was an attorney for the school district. And so she recused herself before getting into season two and into the trial. And so I think that put kind of a strain on their relationship that they're in the process of working through in season two. And so I think um, they do a good job portraying that even between his two parents, they weren't always on the same page. Mm-hmm. Like he wanted to give a little more freedom and while we made an agreement, like as long as he was done by a certain time, we wouldn't ask all the questions about this or as long as he was passing his classes, then he could do X, Y, or Z. And so they also, I think, do a good job showing the two of them trying to figure and work through their differences of opinion about how they need to handle those situations as it plays out in mm-hmm. season two. Right, but I th- definitely think they showed... Clay's parents as the more um, open, the ones that you could see a teenager trying to trust Uh and trying to overcome that distrust as well. Um, And so for parents to watch that and see just the openness that they had, the willingness to step into really uncomfortable. His dad was willing to step into really uncomfortable conversations um, just because he wanted to show, hey, I'm here and I'm someone you can talk to. I think this really illustrates, you know, uh, I think, David Frey's brought this up on a previous podcast and he was actually quoting someone else about this, but it's basically, basically parents being almost like, uh, like when you 
have Olympic swimmers, and when they when they turn and push off and go the other direction, the parents are really that for kids. Is that is that is that push off point where the kids don't really even notice that that they're 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 they're, they're doing that is seem like a valuable thing, but they need to have that that launch point. And so for these parents who, you know, I mean, the dad's expressed his why will kids not tell their parents anything ever? It's showing that he is showing the interest. He is he is uh, there. He's present. And as a parent of a teenager, I can't imagine what it's like to consistently show up day after day saying, I'm going to be available. I'm going to be available. And then your kid really not taking advantage of that. Mm-hmm. But consider the alternative of not being present at all and what that would do. And I think there is a like, kind of a dichotomy between Clay's parents and then Justin, we talked about in previous episodes, was like rehabbing and detoxing in this and Clay's bedroom and his parents eventually find out and they are also really open to Justin being in their home and being part of the family and looking out for him. And so they also go beyond just being open and willing to talk to Clay and be there for Clay, but they're also showing willingness to really stand up for in the gap for some of his friends that don't have that structure. And I think that's really needed, especially as you get to know who are the if you're a parent, who are the students that are hanging out with your friends and what are their stories? Mm-hmm. Do you know? Have you ever asked the questions, even basic things like who do they live with? Like mom, dad. And if you start asking some of those questions, then sometimes you can fill in some of the gaps. Mm-hmm. Because they also really showed a willingness to step in and be those people mm-hmm. for Clay and for Justin and really for some of the other students that came in and out of their home through the process of the series. Like when Clay was dating Sky, they're like, why don't you have her over for dinner? Like we want to meet her. We want mm-hmm. her to be right. around and welcoming. And we really made an effort to do those things. Mm-hmm. So uh, a big focus of the season is on the school, right? That's kind of the, the, the context of, the, of all season two is the, is the trial. Mm-hmm. Uh, the parents trying to hold the school accountable for what happened. Um, Mr. Porter, who's the school counselor, correct? Correct. correct. Um, that um, can be pretty heavily criticized in season one. Oh, yes. Right? Rightfully so. <laughs> yeah. Rightfully so, ta- so. So talk about that first, and then we'll talk about season two and kind of. Um, in season one, he is portrayed as um, being present at the school, but not really kind of invested in the students' lives. The, the place that that's the most prominent is when Hannah comes in after she's been sexually assaulted right before she commits suicide. And he, she comes in basically to say, this is what happened to me. And this is a summary, obviously, but basically he was like, well, if you aren't willing to talk about it and tell me who it is, there's not much anything I can do for you. And never made the effort to like reach out or ask if she was okay even if they weren't going to report it and kind of follow up with those things. And so he was really the last adult that she interacted with before she died by suicide. So he definitely takes a rap for not being able to kind of ask better questions and stand in the gap for her. Mm-hmm. And you could tell almost in season one, it, w- it was a job. He was going to sit at his desk, but he wasn't necessarily going to go above and beyond. She even in season one, as she walks out, I believe says something like, is he going to follow me? I'm going to see, is he going to come after me? Is he going to ask a follow-up question? And he doesn't. He doesn't. And it's very obvious that that bothers her. And that's when she's like, all right, that's it. I've made my decision. If he's not willing to come after me, this is a lost cause. Hmm. And so you see that shift though in season one. When Justin comes back, who isn't even currently a student at the school because he ran away from home and is on drugs, and at this point he's detoxed, and Mr. Porter finds out what's really going on, and that's that Justin's mom is living with a drug dealer who is abusive 
It is not a good situation for him at all. She's using. Exactly. And he decides that he's not going to sit at his desk anymore. And he actually goes to his mom's house and confronts mom, confronts the boyfriend, gets into a fight. Hmm. Um, It's a whole ordeal. But you can tell that at that point he's decided my job is not just to sit and listen and to not do anything, but I'm going to stand up for these kids if no one else will. And so he decides to stand up for Justin. Maybe not always in the most appropriate way. But I say, it sounds like he, too, he kind of swung too hard the other way of like, yeah, I'm just going to do everything. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Uh, but there are also other scenes where he's interacting with students in the hallway where he's going out of his way to make sure, like, if you want to talk to me about this, I'm here for you to do that. Mm-hmm. Like, my door is open, but also just much more present in and out of classrooms, interacting with students that he knows might be struggling or as um, some of the students transition back after the suicide. Well, too, I think it, I wonder from the student's perspective of all of a sudden this counselor showing all this interest after this, after this happens, mm-hmm. you know, which isn't a reason that he shouldn't be doing that. But, you know, it shows that it probably should have been a little more present all along you know, instead of trying to make up for lost time, it seems like. Well, and I think he in the school setting was also at some point once people realized that he was really going to stand up and fight for these kids is almost targeted. Like the principal wasn't totally on board with that approach. Um, the baseball coach who we talked about in previous episodes really just wanted him to go away. Um, at one point he was talking to the boys about sexual consent and the coach basically said, we don't need you here, Mr. Porter. Like we appreciate it, but mm-hmm. thanks. And so um, even when he started to be really proactive for the students, the other adults at the school weren't always on board with that. Mm-hmm. Well, and eventually he is let go. Eventually the school lets him go in this season. And as he walks out, he tells the principal he has a stack of, I think, files that he puts on the desk and says, these are the students that I'm looking out for. These are the ones that I'm actively watching to make sure that they're okay so this doesn't happen again. You need to tell the next counselor that. Hmm. And so he also kind of follows up of, here's another thing that you need to do. And if I'm not here to do it, you have to make sure that someone else is. Right. So how, how well equipped was he to do this job? It did not seem like he was well equipped at well all. Equipped. <laughs> and, and beyond the reasons they actually say that, um, they say that he was not equipped to do the job that they asked him to do, that mm-hmm. the school did not equip him. He didn't have the right training. I can't remember if he makes a statement about that or not, that he didn't feel, he just felt overwhelmed and like, I didn't know what I was doing. I was here. A lot of our counselors do a lot of scheduling. Um, and so it almost seemed like that was where his leaning went. And then when a girl came in with a real issue, he didn't know what to do with that. And I think that's really true in the schools. A lot of the schools that we work with, and this is starting to shift um, in our area some, but a lot of it depends on the size of the district and the resources that you have. But you have people who are in the counselor position that are really more schedules, testing, uh, those kind of logistical things Mm -hmm. that's really more where their training and background is and then you also have kind of the interventionist or something similar role then those people tend to be a little more trained in some of the counseling or social work areas and so you have those shifts that are starting to happen but for a long time school counselors are really just educators wearing Mm -hmm. a different hat Mm -hmm. and I think that Mr. Porter is kind of a good example of how that plays out absolutely so let's talk about the school a little bit um, Mr. Porter, um, Carly, would you read that quote that, uh, from, from Mr. Porter um, that kind of gives a good idea of, of how he felt about his own ability to do his job and then kind of walk into talking about school? Sure. So this is um, 
Mr. Porter says this on the stand in trial. So mm-hmm. he's called to the stand, and this is um, how he starts. And he says, my name is Kevin Porter. I'm a guidance counselor at Liberty High School. I would say I help as many kids as I can. That's why I got into education, but I don't get to see every kid. I try to keep an eye out, but you have to count on kids to come to you. And not every kid who does come to you is able to ask for the help they need. Not every kid tells you the whole truth. Yeah. So I, f- I feel like my experience working in schools, that's very true. Very true. Especially on the, on the guidance end. And so as we, as we walk into the discussion about, you know, how schools help, parents, um, caregivers, anyone who's responsible for a teenager who interacts with the public school needs to understand that because it's very easy to blame the school mm-hmm. um, for, for, you know, the school didn't intervene, the school didn't, when what you're really talking about is a group of people who have a significant responsibility to a large, a much, much larger body of people, right? right. And so um, depending on who, you know, who's responsible for what, uh, a guidance counselor, you know, and I think that was, I don't know how big they're making this school out to be on the show. The fact that there's one counselor on that campus, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's a pretty, it's a, you know, it's not common, obviously, for just one counselor for a whole high school. Usually there's several more, but um, any counseling staff that you'll talk to will say there's not enough hours in the day right. and, you know, there's not enough of me to go around for all the need. Um, and as Beth said, you know, these guys, especially if their titles guidance in front of it, their responsibility isn't necessarily social, emotional first. It is about making sure the schedules line up, that the kids have the classes that they need. They have the academic side squared away. Nothing against those, those counselors. That's the, that's their job. Um, but when you hear counselor at the end of that, you think their job is to provide for the social emotional needs first. And mm-hmm. that's not always the case. And so understanding that schools uh, most of the time do not have the resources they need to really, you know, be there for a kid who's really struggling. That's y'all's experience too as well. Right. And I would say the school does have great resources, but you can't parents or outside adults can't put all of that on the school and say, I don't have to watch for that because that's what the school does. Mm -hmm. Um, Parents have to work with the school to watch their kid. Um, As a daughter of a youth minister, I feel like my dad got that a lot too, of Mm -hmm. parents saying, why didn't you tell me something was going on? Why didn't you fix this? Um, Parents putting it on the church as well. And I think it's similar of everyone has to work together Mm -hmm. of you're looking after my kid and I care. Um, but at the same time, you have to be willing to ask questions. If you see that something's wrong, maybe you call the counselor and say, hey, can you look at school and can you check on this for me? Um, because I'm not there during the day. But they might not ever come in contact with your student during mm-hmm. the school day because of how many people they have. And that's not their fault. It's not necessarily even the school's fault. Um, but that's just kind of how the way our school system works. Well, and I think as a parent who has a child going into middle school, when they did like a parent meeting for orientation, they have two counselors that will be working with the sixth graders that are coming into the middle school setting. And one of them, her express job is going to be schedules, testing, making sure that you get the academics and pre-AP stuff that you need if that qualifies for you, special education services. And the other counselor is more of the like behavioral, social, emotional if you have a problem, but they even stood up in that meeting and said, Hey, if you have a question and you're asking questions at home and you're not getting help, like reach out to us and let us know 
because we can't possibly keep track of everyone. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's becoming more of that awareness where the schools are saying, we need you as parents to help us identify. Because if your child's not on my radar because they're not filling all their classes, but there is something major going on, then we need to know that. We need your help to help identify those or to help parents identify those depending on the situation. And two, developmentally, um, a child that age is going to naturally go to their peers first right. mm-hmm. instead, of, instead of an adult. Um, cause that's part of what they're doing right now. They're pulling away from the, the adults in their life to become, you know, their, their own person. And so it's not that they don't necessarily care. It's just that they're not the first option to go to when they're dealing with something. Right. And in reality, not every student is going to feel comfortable with that counselor mm-hmm. right? or that counselor isn't going to get along with every student. There's personalities that come into play too. And that's why I think it's so important Um, as we start to wrap up this episode, but the importance of creating multiple opportunities for your students. So whether maybe it's not the counselor that they need to see, maybe it's their favorite English teacher that they Mm. get along with really well and encouraging them, go talk to that teacher if you need someone and not feeling as the parent, like you're being um, looked over if they're wanting to go to another adult, or maybe you're providing um, friends of yours who can be touch points and ask questions, but providing multiple opportunities for them not only to talk to you, but to talk to other adults too who they feel comfortable with and who you trust, which is key. Mm-hmm. Yes, who you trust is a big part of that. I also think there's an element to you, talked about you know, students at this age are starting to pull apart and relying more on their peers. And we talked about this a little bit in other episodes, but like have those conversations. Like if you have a student who's worried about a friend what do they need to do in those situations? Mm-hmm. At what point do they really need to tell an adult? At what point do they need to ask for help mm-hmm. from someone that they trust? Right. And so making sure that as they go through the process of becoming middle school and high school students, that you have those conversations that just say, hey, if you saw a friend that was really struggling, what would you do about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the then your peers can also stand in and start to speak up for each other when there's really a need. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So parents is not going to be just you helping parents is not just going to be the school helping um it's not just going to be friends it's going to be a village a village <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and, it, and it truly will be that for a student who um is needing to find their way through a, a complicated world and as parents or helpers um uh, kind of checking our pride at the door that you're not right. the you're not the only person who has uh good input into the life of the student that there could be someone who has some, something much better uh, or even if it's the same thing you're saying, that they're at least they're willing to listen to that that adult, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes and, I just need somebody else. Yeah, to say it, needs, the same it needs to be the right voice at the right <laughs> time, which I will tell you, as an almost forty year old, it's true with me too. There are just times <laughs> right. there's certain voices that I'm not going to be able to hear for whatever reason at that time. It's called being a, a human being <laughs> for sure. So, anything else for you guys on on uh, episode five on adults? I mean, I think Carly kind of touched on it, but just to repeat, like schools don't have the ability to like catch everyone. But if you do see something and you ask the school, they might know of a resource that you don't know about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that doesn't mean that they're going to provide all those services for you, but they might be able to refer you to someone who can, Mm -hmm. whether it's a grief service or whether it's a counselor or therapist or whether it's some sort of support group that exists. Like just making sure that you're trying to put all those pieces together in order to create an environment where your child can succeed and their friends can succeed Uh exactly and so we just want to thank you for listening um once again 
If you did not watch 13 Reasons Why, it's fine. And we hope that you go back and listen to the other episodes if you didn't catch those the first time. Um, But throughout this whole series, we want to encourage you to have conversation with your students, um, whatever that looks like on any topic, but being willing to open up and step into really uncomfortable topics, really uncomfortable spaces. Um, A lot of teenagers are watching the show, as is evidenced by there's a season three coming. And so this is something that um, teens are aware of, whether they watch it or not, they're aware of these topics and adults, we can't um, shy away from that. We have to step into that. And so you can also go to our website, which is teenlifepodcast.com. And that's where you'll find all the resources, as Beth was talking about, finding resources for your schools. Um, We're a great resource for schools, too, Teen Life is. Um, And so finding things like support groups or talking to the counselor, um, we believe that the school can be a great resource if you ask. And so um, you can find any of that information on our website as well. So go to that. And um, thanks for listening. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss the next series um, coming your way in a couple of months.